0: Many thanks to the One Trust team for their support. Just go to PorkBun.com forward slash 24 That's pork PorkBun, dot com forward slash rocketshipfm 24 You'll save a dollar on your next domain.
1: As artificial intelligence continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation that we can't ignore. AI safety and security it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit hackerone.com slash AI safety security. Again, hackerone.com slash AI safety security.
0: Today we have three stories of how companies are using data to inform their growth HubSpot, CodeShip, and Shopify. They all shared with us what they're doing to use data to inform their growth. Incredible learnings here. So we're going to go one by one through each story, through each company, and learn how they're using data internally. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. Podcast where we explore startups from funding to growth, from culture to sales, and everything in between. I'm Michael Saka.
2: And I'm Joelle Goldman.
0: So, we have three fantastic stories for you here. The first one coming from HubSpot, where Brian Balfour breaks down his methodology for building a data informed growth engine. So, the first thing we need to cover is why. Why do we need these systems for building and measuring these experiments? Here's Brian Balfour. The
3: biggest mistake I see people make is they they try to they try to focus on this hack and this tactic and it doesn't it doesn't work like it doesn't work. A, a lot of the reasons, which I kind of describe on my blog, is just because you know the marketing world is changing. What works 30 days ago doesn't necessarily work today, and you know, or a lot of people kind of look at what works for others. And they try to copy what works for others, but what works, you know, for one business isn't gonna work for another because from business to business, the audiences are different, the products are different, and the customer lifecycle is different, right? Like the businesses are different, plain and simple. And so this process is really designed about around like how you uncover like the unique things, the combination of variables that are gonna really work for your business. Um, and really help drive the growth of your business rather than trying to look for that magical secret or, uh, you know, copy like somebody else.
0: And so the first step in the process is to find a focus. That means find something that you want to change. And this is something that you're going to focus on for the next 30 to 90 days.
3: You consider it a growth sprint. It's basically 30 to 90 days. And really that's us focusing on a certain area we kind of pick you know we have like two or three people and like a small team kind of choose a really high impact area that they can focus on and we set some goals we set we set a destination um, of where we want to go we don't know exactly how we're going to get there and in a big pro- part of the process of getting there is you know we, we brainstorm a bunch of list of experiments which I'll, I'll talk about in a second. Um, but we really sort of stay heads down and stay focused on that one thing for like 30 to 90 days because to make significant process on it is uh, really comes from basically running a lot of experiments, learning from those experiments, and then taking those learnings to come up come up with even better experiments or prioritize experiments that were previously far down our priority list. And so as you as you run these experiments and learn more, you know, your path from here to your destination, you know, it might start off extremely zigzaggy at first, but you kind of start to narrow in and find the most, you know, the the most efficient path uh, to that destination. And it's really hard to do that if you're not focused on a specific area for a reasonable, a reasonable enough period of time. Um, You just don't get in that rhythm of, of that, like, You know, of learning those things around that focus area quickly enough and iterating uh, enough. So,
0: and then we get into the actual process of setting up these experiments. Step one is to ask questions. And so, once you have your objective, say it's to improve your onboarding flow, then you ask questions that lead you to conclusions or testable conclusions, hypotheses, if you will. And this helps you frame your experiment. This helps you lay out the objectives of your experiment after you take a couple days to kind of dive into some of the issues.
3: Another, making sure we don't get kind of stuck in this sort of cold start mode. And there, you know, as part of the process, we've really developed uh, different exercises, brainstorming exercises to really get us in sort of the mindset immediately when we start a new focus area and get a bunch of ideas going um and uh and so one of the first things that we do when we pick out a new focus area is we do something called question storming we get in a room and we ask nothing but questions about that focus area for 15 or 20 minutes uh and so like we're trying to focus on increasing virality we'll just ask things like you know who's inviting the most people uh are they inviting coworkers or friends? How are they deciding uh, who to invite? Um, do people invite in the first thirty days, or does it take longer? Like, and we just start generating all of these questions, and what that does is it immediately starts to highlight, you know, one like the the things that we just don't know yet, um, and two, right? It starts leading us to some potential answers. Uh, you know, and any any great answer starts with a good question, and so. These types of exercises that we can just like always go back to, we always know that we have in our back pocket and we've done before, helps us really get off to like uh, a really fast start whenever we kind of choose a new focus area.
0: So then step two is prioritizing. And prioritizing helps to lay out what the experiment will be and how you're going to run it. And so the three main things to keep in mind here. Are you're going to need to figure out the resources required, the impact it could potentially have, and the probability of the experiment being a success.
3: Exercises, uh, you know, we'll have a uh, like a long list of experiment ideas. But the next big step is just prioritizing, um, and we we try to prioritize by uh, looking at three things um, per experiment. We think about things. Um, we try to balance, it's a balance between, you know, the amount of resources, uh, um, the amount of resources required, uh, basically the, um, the impact that, uh, we think, uh, the experiment is going to have in the probability that the experiment is successful. So kind of below medium and a high.
0: And then how do they know if the experiment is successful?
3: Um, and, so we go through the impact is the most important one. We'll generate a hypothesis, and we'll we'll actually come up with a sentence that it's like, if this experiment is successful, this variable that we're trying to influence will increase by this much because, and then we list out the assumptions that we're making that that would kind of produce that, and and that you know does a few things right. It helps us start to measure apple to apples on experiments about around you know potential impact, um, but it also exposes the assumptions that we're making which I find a lot of teams don't do they kind of they let their team members say well I think I think this is the best idea so I'm going to go do it or the VP of marketing or growth will be like I think this is the best idea and so you you really got like uh, you know the highest paid person problem um and um actually thinking through the assumptions and listening to the assumption starts to expose uh starts to expose a lot of the thinking behind the hypothesis and behind the reasoning and and you really start to get better and better over time at, uh, you know, picking the ones that will have like the highest impact or the highest ROI for for your investment. So um, that's really the second step of the process. Is we we really go through and try to prioritize things, and uh, we try to do this brainstorm in the initial prioritization uh, in the first couple of days of a process, and then we'll like jump into the rest of it, which is really about. Um, implementing and analyzing and kind of repeating it over and over and over.
0: So now that you've asked questions, you've figured out what you're going to be experimenting with, you've prioritized your experiment, and you know what success looks like, it's time to launch and measure your experiment.
3: Um, The process is iterative doesn't mean it's incremental. So a learning we could take from an experiment could lead to another small change somewhere else, but could also lead to a very big change. Um, So I think people get that very confused in terms of iterative and incremental. Um, And so like an example of like a small versus big might be like, um, let's say like we're working on some, you know, a couple people are working on virality. We test five different themes of messaging, you know, something around uh, social validation, something around trying to like the copy celebrates with the user as they send the invite, right? We, we test these different themes and we find one like just blows, you know, the other ones out of the water, right? uh does really well. We might then say, okay, where else can we use that type of messaging to help improve conversions? Oh, like our onboarding process, our activation process. All right, you know, let's create another experiment. And uh, for the team, if there's a couple people focusing on activation, we'll throw that into their experiment pipeline. Um, and that might be another small change that they might try out in the activation flow. Um, so that, that would be like an example of like something small.
0: So what would be an example of something a little bit bigger? What's a 90 day trial look like?
3: Something bigger would be like, um, which actually recently just happened to us is, you know, we're focusing on first seven-day retention. And we did a bunch of qualitative uh, conversations and surveys, and uh, we were looking at our onboarding process. And a lot of people who churned described to us, you know, I just didn't really understand the product, you know, when I, it my first use. And so we thought it was like this, this one particular, that the last piece of our onboarding flow, where we kind of demonstrate the product to them uh, and that wasn't clear enough, you know? And so we did a bunch of, we did a bunch of work. Um, and we did some work there. We started cleaning up the CTAs. We started d- doing a bunch of other things to try to, to make the value prop clear. And we just weren't, we weren't getting any, any, any movement in the numbers. And so we really dug into the data and we were like, well, how many, how many people are, you know, getting into this page and other, and kind of this other stuff. And one of the things through that process that we learned was was wow, there was this entire large group of people that were like activating, but were never getting to that page. They were getting stuck sort of the step before. And uh, uh, it totally changed our thinking and how we thought about first seven day retention. Um, and we started working on kind of the step before in the onboarding process. Uh, and that was a pretty big change in direction from what we were working on, but that that started to actually move the numbers for us. So that-
0: so there you have it. Ask questions, prioritize, launch, and measure. And if you know what your success looks like, if you know your endpoint where you're trying to go and you give yourself enough time to get there, 30 days for small experiments, 90 days for large experiments, you can then use the data to your advantage and have enough data to make an intelligent and informed decision. And with this, you'll start to see... The impact of each experiment that you run build on top of each other and we're gonna hear the next two stories which are so worth the wait but first a quick word from our sponsor now back to the show
2: what if i told you there was a framework you could follow that would all but ensure growth for your entire organization okay well it might not be that easy there's always things that get in the way there is a ton to be learned from what CodeChip is doing. Here's Manuel Weiss, their co-founder and CMO.
1: Basically at CodeShip, we are, uh, I'd say, very numbers in- informed. So basically with everything we do, um, also on the marketing side of course, but also with features we build, basically anything, um, we have this rule that everything you think is only an assumption and your assumptions have to be verified by experiments. So basically you have a new idea and you want to try something. Um, you have to think about a way how this can be quantified and that it's measurable. And after you found a way, you just make your experiments and run it and gather the information out of it and see if your assumption was correct. And If the experiment failed completely, you just stop. And if the results were like okay-ish, I guess, um, you just iterate the experiment and try to optimize it. And you do this like over several months and gather insights all the time.
2: So basically what this is all about is delivering evidence, right? It's about creating a process that ensures that you don't just work on things because you think they'll work or because someone told you it worked for them or it even worked for you a year ago. It's ensuring that what you work on now is actually moving the needle because you have the data and the evidence to back up your assumption. Now, before we jump into their overarching framework, it's critical to set a really strong foundation for how you're going to run your experiments. And according to Manuel, this really comes down to gathering as much information as you can when you're setting your hypothesis and estimations, because that's what you're going to be comparing your data to throughout the entire process.
1: After all this information and estimations in my spreadsheet, I basically wait and after about one month, I compare my estimations with reality. And then I have some columns that um, <laughs> I, I called them failure in estimation. And, and basically, this automatically calculates the difference between reality and my estimations. And if the threshold is too high, um, I've got conditional formatting set up for that and then it's red and I don't like it to be red, of course.
2: Okay, so you have a strong foundation for how you're going to run your experiments and compare the reality of what the data shows you to what your informed estimations were. What does that look like in the context of this bigger framework? What What is this framework that we're talking about?
1: We we are spreadsheet aficionados, so it's <laughs> it's all shared spreadsheets that uh, like interconnected like crazy. Basically, we've defined a structure um, for marketing which has several departments. For example, like inbound marketing, paid online marketing, event marketing, customer happiness, stuff like that, and each of these departments has subcategories. So for example, you can say inbound marketing, okay, it's the blog content and on the blog videos and for example, um, guest blog posts or we are in third party newsletters or our, our social media stuff, stuff like this. And what we have done is we found a way that we can connect all these departments to work together to run a campaign so what we have is we call it building blocks and basically those building blocks are templates for campaigns so for example a building block would be the release of a new feature or a company milestone or a new blog post and then you can shoot this campaign through the framework uh, literally from left to right um, and The building block tells you what you have to do with this campaign. So for example, with a new blog post um, in the department of inbound marketing, it would be promoting it on Twitter and on Facebook, telling people via email um, about it that we know might be interested in, creating a newsletter for it, and of course, writing the article on the blog. And afterwards, we would look at Quora or SlideShare and have a look if content to this topic is available and then we could link to the blog post there. And regarding paid online marketing, for example, we then could create banners that lead to the blog post and or we could use Twitter ads and um, link to the blog post from there. So yeah, stuff like that.
2: So they're taking all these various... Uh, efforts and departments and channels that you might typically go after and it, it seems like it might be you know a spider web of activity. And they're making it linear. They're creating what he calls these building blocks. And you can take this process from left to right in a spreadsheet and have individual experiments and hypotheses that you're testing for each piece of this entire framework and gather data that can be shared among everybody working towards this larger goal now something to consider here is that you're going to get bogged down with a ton of numbers especially if you're tracking things in various tools and all these various channels right so I think the really important thing to keep in mind that uh, Manuel really stressed to me when we were talking about this is that these numbers aren't just numbers. These numbers are people. And what they're trying to do is understand people through the numbers. And so here's an example of how they might run a little experiment to test whether or not even their messaging is resonating.
1: We had to run some experiments to see if like, I remember we we put like, I don't know, 200 bucks into a... Uh, uh, Google Ads just to see if somebody would click, and um, we do this now every now and then just to to verify some assumptions regarding messaging. So basically, what words should uh, will people react better to, and then I just create a simple banner and see what banner, uh, which banner people click more onto.
2: And because they have such a linear process in their spreadsheet model, the learnings from that one little experiment can now affect the entire pipeline of a month's long marketing campaign. And so it just goes to show the power of even the smallest of experiments and getting a little bit of evidence that you're resonating or getting through to customers or helping them in a certain way that can actually have a domino effect on everything. So the big takeaway for me here is that we're living in a really exciting time where the amount of data you can collect and analyze is more than we can even really wrap our head around. And so it's about going back to basics and even just old school spreadsheets and starting small to make sure that you're setting yourself up for a successful experiment and then scaling that out in a linear way where everyone in your organization can see and learn from what every step is doing and work together towards a common goal. It certainly worked for Codeship.
0: So our last story today is all about getting people to use the features that you build, so you have a core product, you have users, and then you're adding on features. And how do you measure whether those add-ons and that that development that you're doing to create new functionality for your users is actually being used? If that's something that they want, and so we talked to Mike Thorpe from Shopify about their methodology when they approach marketing and measuring new features. So what makes this so different than regular marketing is the channels that you have available are often quite different than you would for acquiring customers. So ads don't really work. Many paid acquisition channels don't work. They're already your customers. They're already using your app. So the way Mike describes it is you have to get in the user's path. So Here's Mike.
4: um, The main idea is to get in your users' path. So generally, your users will have, um, you know, a predefined path that they take through your product on a regular basis. Uh, The trick is to get in front of them at those times. So we've got a couple that we use frequently. Uh, Triggered emails are uh, one of the best tools that we can use to get people to start using a product. Um Generally, uh, a user will go through some specific step and will trigger an email uh, that's a little bit more contextual so we're not just blasting every customer, it's uh, more about finding the right customer for that feature. Uh, the other thing that we do that's driven massive success with feature adoption is we treat new features like new products. So we'll do a blog post, we'll do full PR press, um, and then we'll treat it like a big launch. So a blog post a lot of the time drives a lot of the acquisition um, into a new feature.
0: And then the next step is to start measuring. And you're not necessarily measuring engagement at this point. You're just measuring are they finding the feature? Are they getting in there?
4: It's, it's less about um, converting them to using the feature and more about focusing on uh, increasing your click-through rates. Um, making sure that uh, you have your event trigger set up so that you understand um, who's clicking where inside your product, um, and just really trying to drive people to the next step in the funnel.
0: And the next step is activation. Now, activation means that they are starting to adopt the feature. They're activating that feature. They must be using it in some way for some length of time. And those are all very measurable Metrics. And I should say before you start this experiment or before you start any experiment, just like we talked about with Brian Balfour, you should know what a successful activation is before we start measuring anything. So we know what we're measuring. So you should have those markers of success, X time of use, X number of uses, the certain steps that someone needs to take within the product to say, okay, you are activated. That is a success. This was worth building.
4: So activation for us, um, depending on the situation, because of course, uh, you know, every feature has a little bit different of uh, a little bit different context. So for activation, uh, what you're looking to do is get the user to perform the very first step that will get them to actually start using the product. So sometimes that might mean um, getting them to set up the new feature.
0: And finally, we have retention. Now, this is always the hardest part. You have activated someone, they're starting to use the feature, but do they continue to use it? Is this a long-term use? And how do you measure that?
4: Yeah, so retention um, is a tough part. So, uh, of course, um, what we do at Shopify, and, and uh, you know, a term that we've kind of t- uh, coined is, um, is, is a value tipping point. So that's how many times does a user have to use that specific feature to start getting um, a value through it? And uh, at what point is it that they're less likely to churn out? So that might mean um, a user has to, uh, to use that product you know, five times in the next month, and that'll reduce the likeliness that they'll churn by you know, X percent. Um, So our job is to get them to that value tipping point as quickly as possible.
0: And then we talked about some of the tactics that they use to actually get them to that value tipping point. So grab your pen. is a good one
4: here. One one of the best ways to to increase retention, uh, in my opinion, is to show users what they're missing or what they're gaining. So, for example, you could send if your your feature saves someone time. You could calculate how much time you're saving them per month and show them that with uh, other statistics um, to show them how much value they're actually getting from your product and just reminding them of that value on a regular basis. On the other side, if you're still looking to, to gain some uh, acquisition, you can use those same types of metrics to get non-users to try the feature. So, for example, you can show them how much money they could have, could have saved had they used the feature that month.
0: So there you have it, a framework for walking through new feature developments. How do you measure them after launching them? So we're not just building, 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 launching, 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 and we don't even know who is using what. This gives us a very stable way to always be measuring the adoption of the features that we're building and give us a solid method to quantify the effort that the product team is doing and making sure that we're building the right thing for people. Because if we're not measuring, we really don't know who's using what. We hope you really enjoyed this today. I certainly got a lot out of these three stories, learning how companies are using data to inform their growth. Next week, we're going to talk about how do you use data internally in the form of KPIs and OKRs. What do these systems mean and how can you use them to be a better leader to be a better communicator with your team and to set reasonable goals with a framework for action so that'll be next Wednesday stay tuned we have another fantastic interview coming out on Sunday as well always want to give a big thanks to our sponsor segment.com we couldn't do this without them go to segment.com forward slash rocket ship get $300 off a team plan If you don't use Segment, you should. It's a no-brainer, really. you haven't yet, subscribe on iTunes. Wherever you get your podcast. leave us a review. You can follow us on Twitter at RocketshipFM. You can follow me at Michael Saka and Joelle at Joelle Goldman. All right, we'll see you back here in just a couple days.